691 Obedience is the name of the song. We'll sing both verses, okay? As we begin our Sunday school hour. And good to have everybody here. I'm looking forward to our time together. second verse and have our missionary moments and we'll pray and then we'll sing verse 2, okay? Let's sing verse 2 of obedience and then we're dismissed to classes. I guess we're all dismissed to stay here. <laughs> That's the way it looks right now. We want to live pure. We want to live clean. We want to do our best. Sweetly to authority, leaving to God the rest. Walking in the light, keeping her attitude right on the narrow way. For if we believe the word we receive, we always will obey. O B E. I endeavor to uh, finish up with the doctrine of Christology today. I have it on. Yep, I did get it put on. I saw it. Um, so my endeavor is to finish up today. Um, I had an illustration this week, uh, an opportunity, which I failed uh, because I'm not quick on my feet. I don't always think quickly. But I'm hoping for the opportunity, and I think it will come, with our neighbor Rob. Because one of his questions was, you've traveled quite a bit. You know, as we've talked, he knows what we did and what we're doing. And He says, you traveled in quite a few towns across America. And he says, are they all like Eureka? Do they have... 1,500 people and 12 denominations of churches. And I said, no, they're not all that way. And he said, well, why do we need 12 different denominations? And that's where I didn't think quick enough. And what we're studying here is part of that answer. And what we're studying under the teaching of the other men is part of that answer. But as I thought later, 
The quick answer to me is, what do they do with Jesus? What do they do with Jesus? And that opportunity, I hope, will come, and I think it will, to share with Rob that that is the difference. And I'm not saying that because I'm the one teaching or sharing, I'll put it that way, this information. I'm saying it because it's become evident to me through this that that is one of the main issues. And all of them flow together. Valerie had a text that also fits into this, whereby she wants to have a Bible study. And that person has been to Bible studies, and all that's been taught is what their pastor teaches them. And this person believes that you should be able to share your own interpretation of the scripture that you're studying. And so there again, these doctrinal issues come to light, that they do make a difference, and these are important. And each one of you is showing that it is important because you're here. And I thank the Lord for that. Um, I want to start this morning by reiterating uh, something that I covered last week. And that is the doctrine of the hypostatic union. I just want to read what was in our notes. It says, The doctrine of the hypostatic union of Jesus' two natures state that these two natures, the divine and human, are united in his personhood or his self. Here, the hypostasis is his eternal personhood, which underlies his divine and human natures and which unites them within himself. <clears throat> the divine and human natures are united in one personhood or self. The Lord Jesus is not two persons one human and the other divine, but he is one self. The two natures are inseparably united in his self, yet not mingled or confounded. One nature does not affect the other, yet the two never function independently of the other. Why did I want to read that? Because some of what I'm sharing may come across that I am trying to separate those two. And I am not. I am simply saying that at times, Jesus in himself, God the Son in himself, operates, chooses to operate in one nature versus the other. But they're never separated that is beyond my understanding as a human. But I want to make it crystal clear, I am not trying to separate those two. So we will start in <clears throat> Today I want to talk about his humiliation. This refers to the shame and degra- degradation that he experienced in his obedience to the Father unto death. 
Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he, his goal was obedience to the Father. A, the nature of Jesus' atoning work. Atonement had to be made before God could deliver sinners from sin's debt, ruin, and power and could bring them into a right relationship with himself. The word there for your blank is deliver. Our Lord's sacrifice was, first of all, substitutionary. So Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was substitutionary. As our substitute, he bore the punishments of our sins. And I add these thoughts um, as far as the word sins known and unknown, inherited and committed, past and future, all of them. He died. He bore the punishment for our sins. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. His sacrifice was substitutionary. Number two, our Lord's death was satisfactory. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15.3 First of all, it was propitious. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. B, it was provisional. John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 and verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of this only begotten Son of God. John chapter 3 and verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, 
but the wrath of God abideth on him. It was provisional. It had to be accepted to be applied. Some observations. A, God not only bore our sins, but he was made sin. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. So he was not only bore our sins, but he was made sin. Secondly, or B, our Lord's physical death was deliberate and voluntary. John chapter 10 and verse 17 and 18 Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So it was voluntary. He laid down his life for us. See, Jesus' enemies did not contribute to his atoning works. His work was finished when he said, it is finished, and he gave up his life. John chapter 19 and verse 30 says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So everything that was done before his crucifixion did not have anything to do with the atonement. It had everything to do with showing his worthiness, if you will, to be our Savior. It fulfilled prophecy. There were things that were done to him before the crucifixion that fulfilled prophecy. I did not list those examples, but they are there. So his enemies did not contribute to his atoning works. D, the triunity was involved in the atonement. The son offered himself in obedience to the father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, and I'm sure we have probably read this verse before. It's kind of amazing how many times uh, verses come up. But Hebrews 9, 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The Father gave his Son as a propitiation for our sins. Uh, 
First uh, John four ten says, "Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins." Um, that word propitiation. Um, looking at definitions for that word, the first one really didn't help an awful lot. Expiator. Um, that's a <laughs> another. Uh, not normal word that we use. Um, a substitute, a worthy payment for, he took our place. He was a propitiation for our sins. Any thoughts or um, ideas or any thoughts on that part of his humiliation, if you will? And what we've covered so far. We're usually pretty quiet, so I would just throw something out. I just—it kind of caught me off guard, and I had forgot about the Holy Spirit's um, involvement with Jesus. He had this statement that the Son, um, the Son offered Himself in obedience to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, I always think of Jesus as standalone God, but yeah, the Holy Spirit was also involved in that ministry. Yes, and that is something we, not to say that you missed it, but that is something we have covered in the past few weeks is how the Holy Spirit was, how Jesus Christ did things through the power of the Holy Spirit in his humanity. And so I don't have those verses here in front of me, but to uh, go back and look at those to see uh, the texts that refer to the fact that as a man, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the works that he did, to do the things that he did. Yes. Right. His. What was that? Acts four twenty-five to twenty-eight. Thank you. And yes, God is, was, and will be in control of all things, and. It was his obedience to the Father that led him to where he ended up, or where he was. He didn't end. (laughs) So, okay. We will move on to the crucifixion. And in that, I have simply made some statements. Um, One, death by crucifixion was the most shameful punishment Inflicted in those times. It was the worst way that they could come up with for him to die. And even when I say come up with, uh, we'll get um, to that as well. Um, secondly, death by crucifixion was an agonizing experience. The Jews regarded anyone who was crucified to be cursed of God. So it was the worst of the worst of the worst. Jesus Jesus did not die because of his wounds. He gave up his spirit, which is reiterating something I've already said, but that's okay. Number five, Jesus' work was finished when he said, It is finished. His work ended when he gave up his spirit. 
the judgment of humanity's sins was born. He bore the judgment for our sins. And he said, it is finished, when he gave up his spirit. So the crucifixion of Jesus, which is the end of the section on his humiliation, in which we will move to his exaltation. Is there any thoughts or comments concerning his crucifixion? Okay, moving on to his exaltation. Jesus' humiliation ended with his death. The normal indignities done to a body on the cross were not allowed by the Father. As he moved in Joseph of Arimathea, to take the body to be buried in a new tomb. As far as the normal indignities, normally the body was left to hang there for several days. And I'm not going to go into the details because I think we can get caught up in the details and miss the atonement, the real reason why he was on the cross. But the Father did not allow those indignities to take place uh, to the body of Jesus. He moved in Joseph of Arimathea's life to take the body to be buried in a new tomb. Luke chapter 23, verse 50 through 53 says, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel indeed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in a linen, in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. His resurrection from the dead. Jesus' resurrection consisted of the reunion of his immaterial parts of his human nature and personhood with his body, which was made alive by the Holy Spirit, and and he physically rose from the grave, never to die again. Sorry about and his physically rising from the grave. I guess it does make sense if I read it that way. Um, I didn't do real good in English, so bear with me, okay? (laughs) Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Romans chapter 8, verses, verse 11. And Acts twenty six twenty three that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. So his resurrection from the dead. Its features. 
It was brought about by the combined activity of the members of the Godhead. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And Romans 8.11, that we just read, uh, but if the spirit of him that raised raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So it was brought about by the combined activity of the members of the Godhead. It was a physical resurrection. It was a physical resurrection. First Corinthians fifteen, three and four. First Corinthians fifteen we quite often refer to as the resurrection passage. As for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. He was buried. He couldn't rise again if he didn't die. And they weren't, would not bury him if he had not died. Shows the reality of his death. Secondly, it show, he showed his hands and feet. Luke chapter 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke 24. And verse 39. It says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. So, behold my hands and my feet. Why? Because they bore the marks. They bore the marks. Thirdly, he ate before them. In Luke chapter 24, and verses 41 through 43, the end of 43 says, And he took it and did eat before them. So he ate. It was a physical resurrection. And then he also ate with them in Acts chapter 10 and verse 41 through 40, or 40 through 41. And the end of 41 says, Who did eat and drink with them after he rose from the dead. It was a physical resurrection. Not only that, it was a unique resurrection, and again, my outlining skills failed me. You should have a little I, or Roman numeral one, and a little Roman numeral two in front of those, um, the first to die and be resurrected, never to die again, and then secondly, the first of everlasting duration. And let's take a look at that First Corinthians passage uh, again in chapter 15. First Corinthians 15 and verse 22 and 23. If somebody gets there, go ahead and read it. So 
the first to die and be resurrected, never to die again. Christ, the first fruits. And verse 23, and then Revelation 1.18, he said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. So it's the first to die and be resurrected, never to die again, and the first of everlasting duration, which might seem a little redundant from the end of the first statement, but I think you get the point. Jesus' resurrection gave value to his atoning work on the cross. On the cross. First, back to 1 Corinthians 15 again. If someone's there, go ahead and read verses 14 and 17. So, it gave value to his atoning work on the cross. It made possible the release of new life and power by which his people can live and serve. That would be us how we can live and we can serve. Uh, John chapter 14 and verse 19 says, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye also, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. And then Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So it made possible the release of new life and power by which we can serve. See, it gives his people a living hope. Is that important to you today, to have a living hope? I think that's, Pastor was just referring uh, to that, that he is alive, that he's living. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. D, it guarantees the resurrection of his people. 1 Corinthians 15 again, verses 20 through 23. And I turn from it. If somebody's still there, go ahead and read verses 20 through 23. So it guarantees the resurrection of his people. These things, I, I know as I was going through these and putting these together, it just, I don't know if I want to say it stirred me up, it just encouraged me as I saw these things that I knew, but um, they were brought to light even more. It made possible his present work on behalf of his people. And we have several things here. Uh, He is building his church. He is building the church. 
And I'm going to read through these for sake of time. The scriptures are there. Uh, You can look them up. Secondly, his preparing a home for his people. Thirdly, his interceding for his people. I don't know about you, but that is just a major encouragement to know that he is interceding on our behalf, even as we prayed this morning, knowing that he is presenting those requests. Fourthly, he's teaching his people. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 21 through 20. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. John fourteen six, I am the truth. He is the truth, the way, and the life. I'm not getting it all. I don't have that one written down. <laughs> but anyway, he is the truth. Fifthly, he's ruling over his people. Colossians 1.13 Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And then lastly, F It established a prototype for the changed bodies of his people. This will prepare them physically for the eternal state. When I first read that word prototype, I didn't like it. <laughs> it, it seemed too uh, human, too man-made. But I'm not the only one that said it. I read it in a few different places. So it's a very fitting uh, word. Philippians 3.21, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the work whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And I would encourage you, I'm not going to take the time because we're running out, to read 1 Corinthians 15:42 through 53. We are very, very familiar with probably verses 50 through 53. But the verses before it, there's a lot in there. I would encourage you to read them. Then his ascension into heaven. Forty days after his resurrection, the Lord Jesus, as man, departed physically and visibly from the earth and was immediately received into heaven. Mark sixteen nineteen through 20 says, So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. Amen. And then his enthronement. As, as man, the Lord Jesus was given the position of highest rank at the Father's right hand, far above all created beings and things and their authority. Acts, or Hebrew 1, 3, Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, 
and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. And then D, his second coming to earth. Unlike his first coming to earth, Jesus' second advent and millennial rule will be with power and great glory, marking the final phase of his exaltation. I want to close with this remark. I guess I don't know if I really think this sums it all up, but I'll say it this way. God the Son came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to do the will of God the Father through the power of God the Holy Spirit, the trying unity of God at work, and for our benefit. Yes. So, Alan, would you close us in prayer? Father God, we thank you uh, for your word and, and what it means to us. And just pray, Father, that we would all continue to be the Bereans and test um, everything that comes our way by your holy word. We thank you for Sean and, and the effort that he's put into to preparing this time of study. And, and just pray, Father, that as we try and understand a little bit more about the, the, the doctrine of Christ, we would understand it's more than just a doctrine. It is an expression of the desperate love He has for us and our desperate need of salvation. So Father, again, thank You for Sean and his efforts. Lord God, bless us with Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.